Welcome to Rain City Supercars. I'm Nick. I'm Dan. Welcome to episode 29. I we have a, we have a guest with us today that uh, my father and I have worked with for years in the insurance industry, and he has saved some of my clients buttloads of money and asked them the questions that they didn't know they needed to be asked from the insurance industry. And I thought it would be kind of a fun person to have on here because. You know, as a couple weeks ago, we had Ashley on from Haggerty, and she taught us a lot about, you know, what was going on in that car industry. But Phil knows the, the, the vast majority of insurance outside of, okay, you own a nice car. But, well, because you own a nice car, you probably own a nice house, and you probably own maybe a couple of nice houses and property and things like that. Maybe you own a helicopter, or maybe you own a vintage car that's under restoration, and your parts are in several different places, and can you insure it, and what values? So I thought it'd be kind of a neat idea to bring him on and have him talk. So, um, our guest today is Phil Raymond from Surfco Pacific Insurance. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Nick. Great to be absolutely, here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like I was telling our guests, our guests, our, our listeners, you uh, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah, we go way back. Uh, way back. Uh, Mark, uh, my father, Mark, and I, who have been in business for a long time and, you know, who has taught you that his favorite catchphrase of, you know, what can somebody sue you for? And <laughs> has we've used, you've used many times with oh, our yeah. clients. It's yeah. like, and people go, well, what do you mean? <laughs> well... <laughs> Where are you vulnerable? But yeah. go ahead. Um, I was just saying exactly that. I'm, I've got to give him some uh, some credit here. Phil is by far the most prepared guest we've ever had because <laughs> he brought a bunch of uh, good points that we need to cover, which I didn't think of. And is you know Nick and I like to make this as natural as possible, so you know our guest, not that you just so you know what they do, but you know them as a person. But um, we are going to approach this episode a little bit differently because I think you guys are going to be really glad you know this stuff and that we ask these questions. This is important stuff, and we know a lot of our listeners have a lot of nice cars, a lot of things that, you know, how should I say this? They have assets that go cover a wide range, and this is the guy you need to talk to because he knows his stuff. Um, Haggerty is a, he's a proponent of Haggerty, I should say, but Let's start with the very beginning. What's the difference between you and like walking into, you know, insurance company here on the radio for just average driver? Yeah, so what I do, I am a, a broker. I'm 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 not a captive agent. In other words, I can represent a bunch of different insurance companies. So Haggerty is one of those companies that I represent. I have an appointment with Haggerty along with a bunch of other companies. Haggerty is that one company that does collector cars, classic car insurance better than anybody. So they're the go-to company for for that market, um, but uh, outside of that, yeah, I don't. I'm not a slave to one company. So your friendly neighborhood uh, agent who has an office and they have their name on that and they have got a fancy logo, they can probably sell that one product and they can't go beyond that. And the problem that people run into there is those companies, for the most part, don't have the kind of product that people really need for expensive collector cars. Well, one of the things that I found, and this is something that, and I think this goes along the lines, is you know, why does what what are the advantages of having an agent like Phil? And I, my my parents and I have found that out, and many of my clients have found that out. The fact that, sure, you go to a, your your generalized you know Joe Schmo down the street that works for somebody, and he he sells you auto insurance, and then he goes, oh, but of course I could sell you home insurance, and they may not do home insurance as well. Phil and his companies, and he works for Surfco, they're very good at looking at you, going, okay, well your car should be here. Your house should be here. Your asset, the other assets that are here should be here. Oh, and by the way, that's a lovely piece of jewelry, Mrs. Smith, that you're wearing. What are you doing to protect that? 
<laughs> Many times I've sat in meetings and Phyllis sat down with a book going, these are the questions I'm going to ask you. And people are going, I didn't even know how to think of that. Like, I didn't know that was even a vulnerable. Yeah. And that's exactly why we've got him here today, because I know a lot of you can relate to this. And if not, then hopefully you aspire to relate to this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, the phrase we always use, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, uh, but, um, and, and, you know, also us being a, a car-based podcast here in, in the Pacific Northwest, um, we're going to kind of keep this car-related, but, I mean, we're going we're gonna to spread out a little bit deeper on that. So what are the advantages of somebody like you uh, versus another insurance agent? So, like, the, the, when, you, when we say things get complicated, define complicated. I run a very concierge desk and and I ask I uncover everything I mean you know like Nick was talking about earlier I, I leave no stone unturned and when you ask what's complicated what gets complicated is when people have multiple houses that may or may not be in a rental pool they've got multiple vehicles that may or may not be collector cars that they may or may not be paying way too much in premium for because their insurance company uh, might not even have a, a program for a collector car, so they're rating it as a, as a regular automobile. Uh, their net worth is such that they can be sued for everything that they've worked for for their entire life. And these are all things that really require uh, more sophistication. Um, I have annual meetings with my clients where I, I ask the same questions that I asked a year ago, and believe it or not, half the answers are different this time around because uh, the lifestyle that a lot of Life these- changes? No, <laughs> nothing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, just things like, do you have a nanny? Do you drive for Uber? Do you travel internationally? These these are things that can have a big gap in the risk profile for somebody. There's a question that would make would have made no sense two years ago. Do you drive for Uber? What's that? Yeah, because then your vehicle is part of your business. Well, not your, part of your business. It's part of somebody else's. It's a different coverage thing. And Well, yeah, I mean, the big factor there is that if you pull out your own insurance policy, no matter what insurance company you're with, and then you start reading it, you realize that any kind of driving for a hire to deliver a person is excluded. So if you get into a wreck, you will get sued personally, and you will have no coverage. Now, this is a topic that's a little bit close to my heart, because obviously I've I've gone through a restoration with the Triumph. But... It's different when you're when you're restoring a car and making sure that it's insured. And a lot of people, I think, they think, oh, you know, I believe this car is worth this much, and if I'm having it restored, it's worth that much when it's having it restored. And also, something else I stumbled across, and you actually enlightened me to this, is the fact of of insuring the parts of the car that might be in different places and making sure they're secure. So, could you go touch on that a little bit as far as restoration and how it appeal or, or not appeals, but uh, applies to that? Yeah, you know, when it comes to restoration, what uh, your standard insurance company, a lot of these companies will say, well, they'll ask you the question, well, is the car drivable? Because this is the only kind of product they have. Your cars have to actually be drivable. And if you say, no, it's not drivable, no, it doesn't have an engine, you might have a problem finding insurance. But the specialized collector car insurance companies, these are the ones that really know their um they, they know who's buying insurance from them and, and they know what it, what these people who have these collector cars often have parts, not only maybe all over their garage, but maybe in different warehouses, garages, maybe in different countries. And I can tell you a quick story if that's right. I, yeah. had, I, had, I actually had a client and I, I managed to find an insurance policy for him in this case. He had four or five different collector cars ranging from the 1930s to the 1970s and parts everywhere in two different countries, in four different garages, in three different states in, in the U.S. And, and then some of them were in Europe. And I had one policy that I put together. It wasn't with Haggerty. It was with a, a more specialized uh, carrier because of the international exposure. 
major, but they were able to cover everything for him on one annual policy. Well, and and those of us that know cars know that, you know, the steering wheel off of an original 62 Ferrari GTO is worth more than some of our homes. <laughs> right. I was, I was just going to say that. You get a car like that where a rusted out chassis is probably still worth more than a house on the beach here down in Lake Washington. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this is where this kind of stuff comes into play. Or even if you're driving an old, you know, even if you're restoring like a Mustang Fastback, the fact is, is that car is still worth quite a bit more than the shell that it's being restored as. I mean, it doesn't take a $50 million GTO to require a policy like this. Like things in various states of repair are worth quite a bit more. But like my insurance, the first thing I ask is, is it drivable? I'm like, well, it's easy for me when I've got, you know, relatively new cars that aren't, you know, super collectible and maybe someday, but still. That's a really interesting fact I never would have thought of. Well, and, and another topic I'd like to touch on, and this this happens a lot here, and you brought it up in the fact that, th- that your previous customer had cars in different locations, not only this country, but Europe and things like that. A lot of people don't know that. And you actually helped a client of ours because he goes, I'm going to go to Europe. And, and, and you looked at him and you go, well, your insurance won't cover you. The insurance you have there, if you get an accident in a dry, rental car or something, well, it doesn't cover you. And a lot of, I mean, we have a, we have a lot of people around here that ship their cars back and forth. And don't realize that when, you know, some insurance policies won't cover you. If you ship your car across the pond, you better get insurance over there. There's, I mean, that, and that's something that you need to look at, right? Right. Most countries now will force you to buy liability insurance from them in their country, right? They want the revenue from that. But if you have a a million dollar car and you're driving it over there, good luck finding the right insurance policy in that other country. So that's the important thing where you really need to find the right company in the U.S. to insure the car. Uh, if anything happens to it, no matter where it is in the world, and that's, that's you know, the worldwide coverage is a big deal for a lot of people. What about, uh, that, does that apply to Canada or Mexico as well? I'm really curious. I mean, I go up to Canada all the time. I never, I've never thought about it. I'm assuming it's okay. I think my coverage, Paul. Yeah, Canada is, uh, is different. They don't require you to buy insurance from them when you cross the border. Um, your own insurance will work fine in Canada. Mexico uh, is a little bit different. Most U.S. insurance companies would love to provide the coverage in Mexico because they don't want to deal with any kind of a hassle. But again, when you talk about the Mexican government, they're a lot like uh, a lot of European countries where they're like, no, you, you got to buy our insurance. We don't recognize your insurance. And and so it's, it's well, different. We're lucky here in, in uh in, in Washington state being so close to, I mean, Canada, I get it. It's like you go across the sign. If, if something happens there, most likely your insurance company from here will help you if you get in an accident up there because it's Canada and it's oh, yeah. just, just Northern America. America's hat. <laughs> America's hat. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it's, we have a few Canadian listeners that are Canadian. Northern, Northern North America. I know another thing we've, we've, we've run into in the fact that um, when I was having the triumph um, restored is we lived in Washington and the car was being restored in Idaho. And a lot of insurance companies look at you and go, well, if the car's not in the state you're in, we can't insure it. That's actually one of the reasons, but one of the main reasons when we started restoring that car, we went with Haggerty because one, they would help us look at it and, and it restore or, or insure it while it was being fixed. And because it was in another state and we didn't have residency in that state, they would, st- they would still insure it. Huh, that's really interesting. Yeah. What about, uh, this, what about modified vehicles? You know, it's generally not a problem. 
Um, now, I will say this. Uh, if, if there's a modified vehicle that presents a, let's just say, a higher risk than most cars of that kind, um, you know, an insurance company and the underwriter might look at that and go, you know what, that's fine, but they may have some other stipulations like, look, is there a larger collection here? Uh, are we getting the rest of the account, such as maybe a homeowner's policy, the rest of the regular use auto policies, things like that? So it's usually not a problem in terms of finding a solution for that. But if you're going to an insurance company and you're saying, I'd like you to handle this one little high risk thing for a low premium, then, then that's where we just have to make sure that we manage the expectations moving in. Huh. I wonder how that applies to stance owners. <laughs> My car's a rolling death trap. Will you insure me? <laughs> well, I mean... And I've destroyed its value. <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact that a lot of times when Phil works with clients, be it with their homes, their cars, their properties, photos are required. <laughs> and, and But that's important because insurance companies want to know what they're insuring. And they, and they want to be able to see the product and make sure... I mean, I'm sure it's everything from parts to complete cars to restoration projects, things of that nature. Yeah, and you want the insurance company to make you whole again after a loss, so you want them to have a photo of your car so they know what to... They know how to make you whole again. You don't understand. I did have the special badges on the side that only they were only put on for two years or whatever. Actually, I was going to say, you know, it's funny you mentioned that as a joke, but uh, I used to work in a Harley shop back in the year. And back when I was in my younger years, and uh, some of those badges are worth more than the bikes. Uh, they're oh, yeah. very limited production run Harley badges on some of the sides of those tanks that only pertain to certain years are no longer replaceable. And those things, like those guys covet those things like they are gold because if they lose them, they're in super high demand, but they know they can't replace them. That's where these kind of special policies would probably come in, come in handy. Well, and you know, with a lot of the collector cars and, and you know, like the Triumph and things like that, and I keep bringing that up, but it's a pretty good example in this. <laughs> but they're not driven every day. And so a policy has to be designed around that. I mean, and, you know, you and I have talked about it before, Phil, about, you know, I mean, how often do you drive it? When do you drive it? When I'm not driving it, how should it be insured? I mean, and a lot of people don't realize that there's a, we have a, Dan and I have a lot of friends around here that, that have cars that basically have insurance policies and they call them, they call their insurance up the day and say, I need it to act. I'm driving this very rare car today and I'm, and I'm going to drive it. And that's part of the policy and things like that. And, and, and I think, you know, you're not going to get that at, at, at Bob's insurance shack down the street where you call up Bob and go, hey, I'd really like to go take out my, you know, vintage Aston Martin today. And uh, what can you do for me, Bob? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, these policies, the, the, what you kind of do is, is, is a more boutique um, insurance policy. Yeah, I work with insurance companies that are, are really specialized in these areas. So they're, they know, look, they, they ask all the questions. Do you commute? Okay, uh, well, maybe you just commute uh, for a, a few times during the summer on nice days, right? Okay, maybe that's fine. Are you a member of any uh, uh, car clubs, anything like that? Do you go to car shows? And those are questions that they want a yes answer to those questions, right? Because they're looking for a very specific type of person with a certain... Um, a risk behavior that that is uh, that that's very good for an insurance company. That that's what they want. And so yeah, if you've uh, you go to these car shows and you're a member of all these clubs, that's that's exactly what companies like Haggerty want. Yes, I take it out to the drag strip all the time and go a hundred miles. An- <laughs> no thanks, move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we I mean, and you and that's and that's that's something we've talked about in this episode before. Is people not this episode, but the uh, racing supercars and the fact that. A lot of people around here take their cars out and these these vintage race cars and they race them. They put them on the racetrack. So, I mean, and and that's something. That's a whole other. Have you dealt with that at all? 
You know, Nick, I, I probably get asked that question more often than almost anything when it comes to uh, exotic cars, fast cars, things like that. And unfortunately, uh, the answer is is never really a good one because the moment you take your car out on a racetrack, you are self-insuring. Um, and there really is no policy, unless you work for NASCAR, there really is no policy that you can buy to cover you from what I've gathered is that guys that, that race, they love it so much, they don't care. And they're willing to, uh, absorb that risk themselves. Man, that is a serious risk. When I see like the vintage races at, uh, down in Laguna Seca, oh, at Laguna Seca and you're watching, you know, $70 million go around and they're bumping fenders. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be awesome to be at that level, but man, that's terrifying to me. That's how much they love racing. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and that's fine. I mean, I think we were at Pacific Raceway one time, and they had they had some like Mickey Mouse policy that you could get, like if you put, if you put your car into like a wall or something, like there was it would cover like it basically would cover your deductible so that you could lie to your insurance company, which you should never do. <laughs> no, it was just I remember reading it going, and I I, ne- I never went out on the track, but I was reading the insurance form, and I'm going, I, it it was real trickery. <laughs> Well, and the biggest risk on a racetrack is what if you uh, are negligent and you either seriously injure or kill another driver and then his family sues you for millions of dollars. And, you know, to me, that that's where I think the biggest risk is. But again, they, are you they, talking about the question? How much can somebody sue you? How for? much can I sue you for, Nick? <laughs> it's amazing when you ask somebody that and they go, oh, no, it's fine. I've, I've got a million dollar policy and, uh, and I've got an umbrella that's another 500,000. Well, that's wonderful. But if you take away somebody's life and they believe they're, they're worth more than a million and a half, what do you do? <laughs> and yep. that, that it's an unfortunate uh, society we live in, but that does happen. Yeah, it's reality. You know, um, what are you seeing as far as trends in the insurance industry? I mean, obviously, you're seeing everything from the car industry, car insurance to, to properties, to homes, things like that. I'm seeing, so just starting in the collector car market, I'm yeah. seeing the values have been skyrocketing in the last, let's say, five years in particular. The values have just skyrocketed among a, do you think a lot that, of do you think that's cars. We've talked about that. Do you think that's a little inflated? It might be. It's, it's just like the stock market right now. Is that inflated? Probably. Um, but we're, we live in a, an, an economy that's, uh, uh, you know, unbelievably right that's now. That's stimulated so. now, but yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, well, no, but we, from a car standpoint, like we, we, we've talked about this too. I mean, there's Volkswagen 21 window buses that are going across the stage at Barrett Jackson for 300, almost $400,000 cars that sold new for like $2,000. It's just, and it's insane. Do you, when a customer comes to you and says, okay, I went to Barrett Jackson and I bought this Hemi Cuda and I way overpaid and I need to insure it for way overpaid, is that something you guys can accommodate or do you look at them and go, look, from our book value that's worth this, even though you overpaid Mr. Johnson kind of thing? It depends on the underwriter uh, and the insurance company. Uh, some underwriters will be a little weary of that. They don't want to insure a car for much more than they believe it's worth. But most of the time, if you can produce a receipt and you can say, look, this is what I paid for it. It's hard to argue against market value on something when you just paid that in a market. So, well, like they say, something is always worth what somebody's worth willing to pay for it. Yeah. And I guess again, especially with the examples like that, I mean, there's I'm sure it happens on regular cars too. Heck, I've seen people, it's funny you mentioned that it's not just specialty cars. I've seen guys roll over debts into new cars with bad credit where they'll like buy there was a story I heard, uh, I won't say the source, but it's to say they bought a very nice, but not too nice, uh, four-door sedan here from a local dealer, and the list price on the car was just under 60000 They rolled over another thirty into the loan 
from a previous debt. That would be a $90,000, $60,000 car. Which tomorrow is worth 48000 Exactly. You're a, you're, a, you're a half of 100000 And that happens all the time. That is not a weird story. That is not a one-off story. That is not one stupid person. That is somebody... It is a stupid person, but it's one of many stupid people who do things like that. I'm like, no, dude, that's when you go buy the $3,000 Corolla from Craigslist and cut your losses until you can get ahead. But man, there are people who do it all the time. I can't believe it, but I hear it all the time. But, you know, Phil was talking about, like, you know, if you can prove a receipt what you paid for it. I can, I can just imagine those poor insurance people after Barrett Jackson, some guy walking up going, well, I had 47 beers and I bought a uh, Ford Pinto for $100,000. And uh, it's I'm one need of one in that color. It's one of one. In, it's the Wayne's World paint and uh, it's got the licorice dispenser. So we're, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that the stories you've heard, we've heard uh, that, that, that's come through. Does that just go into like a crazy gap policy or what? Uh, that just goes into, uh, we're only going to cover this much. Sorry. <laughs> we're sorry. You're not smart enough to pay the right price for this car. Well, and, and generally I've noticed underwriters, especially with the carriers that I work with, they're pretty open to, okay, we'll insure it for more than we think it's worth. Sometimes 10 or 20% more than they think it's worth because they want to do what's right for the client, but they're not going to insure something for 50 or a hundred percent more than they believe it's worth. They're just not going to do it. Sure. Um, I want to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and I want to talk to you about some of these these modified. We talked about it a little bit. I want to talk about the modified cars with high horsepower, and I want to talk about some of like the vintage bikes and things like that. Oh, good call. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Dan from Rain City Supercars. Rain City Supercars is brought to you by M Squared Fitness, personalized fitness and personalized performance. Nick and I are both members at M Squared and can personally testify to the great results. You can find M Squared Fitness at m2-fitness.com or on Facebook or Instagram at m2fitnessredmond. Mention Rain City Supercars and get your first visit free. But remember, you've got to mention Rain City Supercars. And we're back. So, quick question. We were talking about modified cards earlier, but I want to talk about that more because I know a lot of our audience is into that. And I don't just mean like their daily drivers are modified, but like they have vintage modified, things like that where... They either, it can be really on the cusp of adding value or taking it away, like resto mod versus full, you know, frame off rotisserie, perfect restoration, nut and bolt, down to the factory detail. How do you differentiate differentiate between the two in value when like the resto mod market is like a roller coaster? But actually, you know what? So is the original market, really. They both move up and down all the time. I mean, I think the the classic market is sort of in a decline, but the right buyer is going to pay the right amount for that car. It's really all over the place. Yeah, I mean the the specialized insurance companies that I, that I work with, they have the the professionals and the expertise in this area. So you know this, this isn't an area where I'm an expert in. So uh, that is one advantage of having a specialized insurance company because I, I I say okay, who's your professional in this area, and then they connect me to that person. So whether they're adjusting a claim or they're trying to put a value on it in order to give you a policy, you've got you've got experts. Well, yeah, and I mean, and just to, to kind of nail on the couple of things, you work with you work with Chubb, you work with Haggerty, you work with Lloyd's of London. I mean, you've got a large pond to fish from. It's this is not square peg round hole. You're going to find the square, the square hole for the square peg kind of thing. Yeah, and companies more and more, especially your your Chubb and your Haggerty, they're really l- considering the responsibility of the driver and the owner of the car. Um, gone are the days where it's like, oh, geez, you look at the horsepower in this in this car. It's way too fast. We're not going to ensure it is too fast. Uh, now they're like, well, hold on a minute. Let's look at the responsibility of the driver. Let's see, clean driving record, fifty five years old, retired business owner, uh, great credit score. All right, this this is a safe fit for us. Yeah, I have three cars right now. I have a my ninety nine Land Cruiser. Um, I have a two thousand fourteen Audi S four, 
and in my 2016 Z06. I'm just going to put it right out there for everybody. I pay 200 and about $260 a month for all four or all three with full coverage, bumper to bumper, $500 deductibles across the board. And I have excellent credit. Uh, the, and people hashtag humble brag. No, 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 not that. <laughs> no, it, it's no. just, a, it's just a matter of, it's a matter of facts. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of tickets. I don't have any in the last three years. I have an excellent lawyer. I'll be honest. Uh, they can't give you a ticket if they can't catch you. No, if, <laughs> even if they catch you, if you have a good lawyer and, you know, I, and t- I'm a pretty safe driver. I have no accidents or anything like that. People are shocked at how little I pay. And it's like, well, I'm in my late thirties. <laughs> like, like they're, I'm not a high risk. You're a good profile. You're a great profile. Yeah. And so it's, but they're, you know, I, Guys, I get I moderate cars and coffee, and people will post up questions like, "Who are you guys going to in for, for insurance?" And my first response is, "It has nothing to do with who you're going to. It has everything to do with you." So I feel a little bit better knowing that. Like, well, I mean, and, and it's a different world. Like Dan was talking about the modified, and this is something that came across Rain City Supercars desk. And you, I guarantee, you're going to see this really soon in the classic market. People are now taking their classic resto, like their '57 Chevys, and they're finding wrecked Teslas, and they're put, they're making them electric. Oh geez, yeah, that's going to be the new thing, and there—I mean, it's and it's and it's going to hit strong because people are realizing that they, they thought that Tesla owned the intellectual property behind their batteries, but when when you crash a Tesla, apparently, and you may even know this, it's it goes to a junkyard and it gets parted out, and now people are buying those those drivetrains and they're putting them in. I mean, everything from big old Cadillac Eldorados to '57 Chevys. This is going to be, you know, this is their way of going green. Man, if you had a '59 Cadillac on a Tesla platform. That'd be oh. perfect because that thing is such a tank. Yeah. It's perfect for an electric platform. You, you could put all, two Tesla platforms under yeah, that you car. You have all that room for those batteries. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, can, and you need all that torque for something that weighs that much. And still some room, room for bodies in the trunk. I mean, everybody knows that. It's hey, perfect. look, now you can yeah, get exactly. insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. No, yeah, I just, that, somebody mentioned that to me um, and I was like, oh my God, that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you wouldn't do that to a 59 Caddy because it's probably worth god knows how many hundreds of thousands but something like you had you know a big big old tank or something that there's a ton of like a 57 bel air which are still worth quite a bit of money in good condition but there are a lot of them so something like that though you're like okay i'm gonna insure this for 100 grand that's okay like that's a little more than your average 57 chev but if you got a company that understands it <laughs> now i mean and just so you're you always said that you if you could have your dream car it'd be a vet like and you made dan smile when you said that by the way from ear to ear <laughs> but i'm assuming in the industry and how long you've been in you've seen some really cool cars yeah Do, does one stand out i mean if you if you could tell us about it a little bit i mean we don't need ownership just what it was maybe all right so i you know i'd say i i did have a client one time with a this isn't going to be a very specific answer but it was a massive collection of cars and let, let's just say that the the value in this collection uh, exceeded 30 million dollars and it was in his own private garage and believe it or not in any other city you'd be able to nail that person down not here though. Right. it's like yeah, right. yeah, that could be one of about 150 people <laughs> <laughs> well and the way and, and here's the kicker though he didn't drive any of them they're in perfect immaculate condition he did not drive any of them so do you need an auto policy if you don't drive them uh, well, yeah, because what if your garage catches on fire or one of those vintage cars Wouldn't catches that fall on fire? Wouldn't that fall into your homeowners? But, well, back to the specialized insurance company. A specialized insurance company looked at this and went, you know what? We could put this on a collections insurance policy and not an auto insurance policy. The rate for that is a small fraction of a rate for an automobile policy because guess what? You're not driving it on the freeway 60 miles an hour. It's in a locked garage. I don't know who this client is, but they should be beat. Those cars, that's just just cruelty. (laughs) That's cruelty to the automotive industry. Well, every once in a while, he would take one and he wanted to drive it. So he would just have to call me first, say, I'm going to drive this car, put it on a policy for the next, you know, month or just the month of July or whatever it was. We took care of it for him. 
See, that's what I love about the specialty side. It's like, and I mean, we I, we do that with Haggerty. It's like during the winter, I go, they it, they just know. They're like, when are you going to stop driving it? Well, you know, I don't have windows, so uh, October seems like a good month. <laughs> and it rains in Seattle, so uh, June seems like another good month to start again. So <laughs> I'd be the guy confusing him. I'd buy an aerial Adam and be like, I'm going to take it to the ski slopes today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no window, no doors. Yeah. No roof, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I mean, I guess that's a wonderful problem for your client to have that, you know, and, and that you were able to go to him because I'm assuming he's coming into you going, boy, I'm going to have to pay all the policies for every one of these cars and that's going to cost me. Well, know. his whole life he had been used to paying before he came to me, he had been used to paying a, a massive rate for these cars because, of course, every regular insurance company out there treats these like regular autos and they open up their books and the books say you must charge this much money for a regular auto until he found a specialized insurance company that really knew what they were doing in this area. Uh, he was overpaying. So, yeah. Oh, I, I know how that can happen. When uh, Mark and I first, uh, the WLFB got the Maserati and we were going around looking at places and... One, some people, they open their book and hadn't been in there yet. And others, they were looking at it going, oh, yeah, yeah. They, you know, that, uh, let me see. That's a, that's a $200,000 car. So we're, I'm like, no. Like, they, they, because you get some person that, no offense, they don't know cars. I mean, and yeah. they're used to selling, you know, Honda Civic policies, which are good, you know. And, and they look at and they, they're, they're given the opportunity for this. And it's like, it took a while. It's like to find the right place. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're from here. You're one of another local. We yeah. got a lot of locals. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm a Seattleite, a Seattle native, I should say. Um, I spent most of my childhood on Vashon Islands, where I grew up. Uh, that I, had to have been awesome. <laughs> you know, Vashon's great. And there's actually quite a few uh, exotic car enthusiasts on the island. And they would have, occasionally, they would have uh, uh, certain days during the summer where they would all drive around the island together and things like that. Yeah, um, they can only come in on high tide. Because, I mean, I've seen some right. cars try to get on the ferry on low tide. Doesn't work. <laughs> uh, they had motorcycle day. At least once a year, they would have motorcycle day. There had to have been thousands of bikes on the island uh, when they did that. Um, yeah, very, very peaceful, quiet place to grow up. Uh, for the last 15 years, I've lived uh, uh, just south of Bellevue um, with my wife. And uh, yeah, it's been great. I love this area. Yeah, he lives down by you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just down in Newcastle. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys should meet up the Safeways, you know, have donuts. It'd be nice. <laughs> How did you move into this side of it, out of the insurance industry? I mean, it's very different than everything else. Well, I started out in the regular cut and dry personal insurance world um, where people generally don't have exotic cars and they generally don't have yachts and things like that. Um, and then I worked for a pretty small shop and that, that small shop was acquired by one of the largest insurance brokers in the world. And because of that, I went in there and the opportunities just started opening up everywhere. And, you know, I, I didn't, working for a giant broker obviously has a lot of bureaucracy involved and things like that that are not very pleasant. But the opportunities for me were tremendous. And, uh, you know, as a result, I've, I've moved around um, a little bit uh, in the insurance world, I guess. Um, but uh, I love where I'm at right now. And I, um, yeah. I can speak from experience. Phil's the kind of guy that when he moves from a company, which doesn't happen a lot, you go with him. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, one question that you, we, we actually on your lovely sheet that I forgot to think about, we, and we get a lot of this around here, are these kit cars. I mean, but oh, we have some yeah, really quality question. kit cars around here. Now, and I'm not talking like I bought a Fiero and I, but I stapled a Ferrari front bumper to it. We're talking these, these, these you know, super performance, you know, uh, yeah, Cobra replicas and, that, and things yeah. like that. How do you deal with something like that? I mean, the, some, some guy that buys this kit, builds it in his garage, knows what he's doing, obviously, because there's specification, but you're still insuring something that's really not, you know, Ford didn't make it, so you don't know that the bolts aren't going to come out of the wheels and things like that. 
Yeah, again, the the specialty companies that I work with, the the first thing they do is they profile the responsibility of the owner. And that's the first thing they do. All the the first 10 or 15 questions that they ask are questions related to, do you own a home? What's your occupation? Uh, They find out what your credit score is and they profile that person. And then they'll look at the the kit and the car collection or whatever it is and say, okay, does this make sense for us? Do we have a product available for this? And and yeah, kit cars, uh, there's always products available for it. And I think that's something we really want to emphasize here. And I see it in the life insurance industry. And I, I even, even I questioned when I first filled out, when I, when I first got insurance on my own, and they're going, okay, well, we want to know your credit score and we want to know, you know, all this stuff. And, and I'm going, why? And it's like, we want to see if you're a risky person. You know, are you the type of person that's taking out thousands of dollars in credit and not paying it back? I mean, and as a risk to us, you know, what's your driving history like? And, it's, and I get that. Like, if you're out there, you know, if you've got some, you know, I think my worst violation is I'm, I tend to like to take the, um, the two-person driving lane when I only have one person Absolutely. in the car. <laughs> I've had several of those violations, but uh, I'm doing my best not to. But I can't even blame you here anymore. Traffic so bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, now I mean, now with 405, you can drive it as long as you got the pass, which I still don't understand because it says if you if there's three people in the car, you don't get charged, but the cameras can't tell how many people are in the car. See, See I'm, I can't be the only one thinking of this. I thought they could. Kid, they, well, they, they scan the badge, but then you can get that special badge. But this is another subject. You might okay. need to meet Dan's lawyer. Yeah, well, I know Dan's lawyer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I really want to try putting mine like, put in my Corvette into the three-person HOV mode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> just, see what happens. Just to see if they catch it. Well, and like I've always said, and with Triumph, because it doesn't get driven much, um, if, if you, and this is a neat little tidbit, if you own a collector car in Washington State and you put collector plates on it, you don't have to get new tabs every year. You don't have to get new plates every year. And when you cross the bridges or tolls, you're not charged. Oh, that is good to I know. I have never received a toll bill from Washington State on the Triumph. And I probably will receive one now from like the last six years now that they're going to catch on to this. But yeah, I, I, I was given that fact by another uh, really good collector in our, in our area. And he said, yeah, if you put collector plates on this, it, you, you don't get charged because they don't consider it as a car that's on the road all the time. And therefore, you're not as charged as much. So, you know, it's funny. That toll system is so screwed up. One of my coworkers commutes from Marysville and he commutes every single day on a motorcycle year round. Unless it's like heavy snow, even light snow, he still commutes on it. He's one of those guys, right? So he carpool lanes the whole way in, the whole way out. Marysville to Redmond every single day. Well, they keep screwing it up and he'll get a bill in the mail for toll violations, but not for like nothing, nothing, nothing. Then like six months and he'll have like a thousand dollar toll bill that they're saying he didn't pay. So he has to call him in. They're like, we're going to suspend your license because you haven't paid any of these toll bills. And I've listened to him in the office, like door closed in the office next door to be screaming at the DOT. Like you've done this five times, you idiots. Oh, so he does owe the tolls, but he's no, not. No, no, no. You, you, you you're exempt on a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. I get Which it. is okay. why he rides the motorcycle all the time because he's such a long oh, commute. It's real easy for him. That's really smart. Oh, get this though. 66,000 miles on his ZX-10R. So not just a cruiser, a total track bike. Awesome sport bike. 66,000 miles. That's going to be a record on one of those. I've done a lot of miles on a bike. I've done... I've. I've owned motorcycles, and I've never owned a really comfortable motorcycle. I mean, I've, all oh, of them have always been like R1s. You know, I owned a Hayabusa for less than a week before it scared the crap out of me. Uh, <laughs> I rode it once, <laughs> and I'm a big dude. Front end came up and went, nope, going to kill myself. Time to sell it. I, so. when you stand up and look over the front. What are you doing, man? My mother <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> Growing up, as you know, Dan, my, the, the two stipulations were no motorcycles, no tattoos. And I bought a motorcycle, and that woman stuck to her word, and I moved out the next day. 
<laughs> and yeah, so, but you know, what do you do? Um, let's take another quick break and when we come back, uh, we'll kind of wrap this up. Hey, this is Nick from Rain City Supercars. This part of the podcast is brought to you by M Squared Fitness. Personalized fitness, personalized performance. Find M Squared Fitness online at m2-fitness.com. Mention Rain City Supercars, get your first session free. And we're back. Uh, before the break, we were, you know, joking about motorcycles and things like that. But, I mean, motor you, you have the ability to allow collectors to collect some things that they may not think they can insure as far as antique motorcycles and like fire trucks and military vehicles, things that people don't realize like, oh yeah, because I've got, I, I, was, I made the money, I bought a tank, now what do I do? Well, or even places like Mule. Mule oh, has yes. that military truck that they've converted into a Dakar rally truck, which is awesome, by the way. Go see Mule. Not a sponsor, just awesome truck to go see. Yeah, how do you even insure something like that? Uh, well, the first thing the underwriter does is they profile the, uh, the owner. <laughs> <laughs> Do we a think good you're person. mentally stable enough to own a tank? <laughs> the, yeah, they, they profile the owner and, uh, yeah, if, if it's usually if it, if it's coming with a collection of something, that's, that's what they like to see. Um, you know, it, just like anywhere in life, it'd be hard to go to a company and say, I would like to buy this product and pay you hardly anything for it. And then have you do a bunch of work and I want to walk out the door and that's all I want to do. So Typically, as a rule of thumb, they'll say, look, we'll do antique motorcycles, we'll do antique military trucks. If it's part of a larger collection, that's kind of the term they use. Now, part of a larger collection could just be, look, maybe a company like Chubb, for example, uh, they just want to make sure they write your whole insurance program, and that, that could be it for them. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. So what we're saying is, Dan, the guy that comes in from the forest that hasn't showered in two weeks and said, you know, I bought a tank for personal reasons. <laughs> Where can I? Phil's gonna go. Yeah, we're good. We don't insure you. Thank you. Have a nice day. Well, I, I, it had me thinking though. Like the Ben, the guy with, the, uh, I think it's yeah, with the Pinsgauer. Uh, there's. Have you seen that thing? No. So there's a Swedish military vehicle that they uses for search and rescue. And I say he uses for search and rescue. I mean, this thing is an active use vehicle that he has completely restored with the help of Mule. And it is beautiful though. It's not some like run it through the forest into the trees vehicle. It obviously can do that, but this thing is spotless inside and out. It is a very valuable vehicle that he's turned it into, but it's, I, I've got to think I've, how in the world would I come to my insurance agency and be like, so I bought this Swedish military vehicle that was never imported to the U S and it's probably worth about a hundred grand now. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of like captive insurance agents that you see the friendly neighborhood insurance agents. Yeah. If you walked into their office and you told them that story, they would probably laugh in your face. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't have any idea that that's why I, I like what I do and being a broker that has access to a bunch of different insurance companies. Um, who are very specialized in this area, and they have the experts in this area. So, yeah, yeah it's all about like the experts. Lloyd's. Yeah. I, I always feel like when Lloyd's of London come out, comes out on the table, you have now, you've stumped your agent. Like, when, you, when, you, when Lloyd's will insure you and nobody else will, you got something fun. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I bought a plane and an airport. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> no, it's true. Lloyd's is not an insurance company. They are a syndicate, which yeah. has just a bunch of people sitting in there, and they all decide how much risk they're going to take with their own money. So, yeah. That's really interesting. I was looking at, you remember the Ripsaw? Yeah. The personal tank. Here's, well, so, if The Rock had one, it, it must... Oh, yeah, G.I. So, Joe, yeah. Yeah, yeah so oh. you, it's, you can buy this thing. And the company that makes them actually makes military... Uh, uh, what do you call those? Uh, autonomous tank things that like go disarm mines and stuff like that. But they make a personal tank that you can buy that will jump like six feet in the air and do about 80 miles an hour. I want one more Wonderful than life. I want to commute in it. 
<laughs> Wonderful. I want to commute in it yeah. so bad you don't even know. <laughs> Keep that lawyer's phone number handy. <laughs> do, you, do you know how easy it would be for me to get to QFC if I could just go right through Bellevue Park? <laughs> You've just described a James Bond vehicle, I believe. Oh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I think it was in a James Bond. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. James Bond. It was in it Fast was in and the, Furious as well. It was in Fast. No, it was in Fast and Furious. It was in James Bond, and then The Rock drove one in like one of the GI Joe movies. I'll and take then, your word yeah, for that. Right. And, and then and then and they had it on Top Gear, and they, they would drive, he drove it through a mall. Yeah, that's right, in Dubai. <laughs> I won't want to anything. I, I always thought I, I could I could be a creative advisor on t- on Top Gear. We got this vehicle. Let's drive it through a mall. Done deal. <laughs> it's not a Mini Cooper. It's a tank. Even better. <laughs> even better. Even better. Even better. Um, I think I might switch my dream car pick from the McLaren F1 to that. I really want a tank to commute in traffic here. Of course, here I'd probably want like an M1 Abrams armed with everything. But that's just me. You know, Wayfield's looking at you. I don't think he can find you insurance. You had a, <laughs> you had a great profile until you started talking. You know, wanting to own an M1? Great. When you start one to arm it, they're going to start questioning I things. I just want the Priuses to get out of the left lane. Is that too much to ask? That's all I'm asking. Priuses and Subarus clogging the left lane. We started to laugh about that when Exotics got delayed for a month. We're like, how many Priuses do we need to sacrifice before the rain gods are going to stop raining around here? But, you know, we're willing to do it. We're willing to do it. So Let me just dream a little bit of a reality I'll never exist in. But if I come to you with, like, uh, oh, I don't know, a tank, uh, <laughs> and I say, well, I Seems bought... to be a theme. I mean, like... How do you even appraise something like that? Uh, you go to a tank appraiser. Um, I, I don't know if I can hook you up with, with one. You know there's some tank guy. <laughs> there's there is. Be a tank oh, guy. no. This is funny. Yeah. There is. And he's in Florida. And I know that because our previous guests, Kevin and Caitlin Flynn, when they went down for that McLaren Drive Everything event, they went and drove tanks. And he is a tank collector. And he has cornered the market on what tanks are worth in the private market. So, yeah, I know a guy. Huh. Well, I had a client one time. Why that, am I not surprised? <laughs> uh, I, I had a situation where a client wanted to insure his car for much more than an insurance company thought it was worth. And uh, they said, look, we need an appraisal on this thing. And he didn't have any idea. And I just asked the insurance company for some advice. And they said, you know, what? we've got some experts who know some appraisers for these specific vehicles. They put me in touch with the appraiser. I put the client in touch with the appraiser and everything ended well. But I will say it's very rare that they need an appraisal. Usually the only time an appraisal is needed is if you put your foot down and you say I know my car is worth a million dollars and the insurance company's done their research and they say look it's worth 750 and they'll typically say okay fine we'll insure it at the million or whatever but go get an appraisal and and then we'll look at it that I, it just you know when you when you look at appraisals and stuff like that you know and coming this is coming from a life insurance background but I always look at that when somebody looks at me and goes oh well I'm only worth a hundred thousand but I want to be I want you to insure me for a million I'm like what are you up to? Like, what is this car all of a sudden going to, you know, combust in your garage? I mean, that that starts to be fishy to me. Like, a lot of people out there in the car industry n- know what their cars are worth. So I could see that being in icon icon cars. So if you come up in your insurance and say, "I have a '68 Mustang. It's in perfect condition," and they say, "Okay, it's worth fifty thousand dollars, whatever," and you're like, "Okay, but this is the bullet Mustang," and say, you know, then your car is like, "Oh, your car is worth five hundred thousand dollars." You just added another zero to that. But uh, I, it's no way is that going to fall under a 68 Mustang. We so, just talked about that a couple yeah. episodes back with, with Ashley. They had that bullet Mustang in their magazine. That's yeah. what sparked that for me. So it's like if you have like a, you know, a 69 Charger or something like that where you're like, yeah, but it was one of the cars used from Dukes and the Haz or something like that. Dukes of Hazard, I think something like that. Then, yeah, that car is going to be worth a, a mountain more or like a, you know, an old 
Firebird from the 80s, you're like, yeah, but it was one of the kit movie cars. <laughs> like, okay, well, it's either worthless or it's worth quite a bit of money. But I can see how, I can see how something like that would come in. <laughs> but it belonged to Knight Rider Industries, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> it goes, whoa, whoa. <laughs> David Hasselhoff signed it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like it's worthless now. They really did take my DeLorean back to the future. <laughs> they should have left it there. No. <laughs> no. Um, Phil, we really appreciate you coming on and taking your time. I know you're a busy guy and you're out there really helping people. So um, this really means a lot to me. Hey, it's my pleasure, Nick. My yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really interesting. It's, uh, it's good to know the ins and outs because uh, insurance is not cut and dry. And you don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, most people that come to me, they're you know, I, I work with very, very successful people that that are you know have a net worth of and uh, us, far, uh, yeah, <laughs> and you guys, um, and and they come to me, and I feel like you know they're so intelligent, they're so smart, and yet they come to me all the time. And they say I don't know anything about insurance, so I get it. They know they know their product, and we're we're gonna put uh, Phil's uh, phone number and contact information up on the the podcast. So you, if you know if you have questions, you know. Um, Phil's definitely the guy that will sit down and talk to you and, and figure it out and, you know, not waste your time, but really point you in the right direction. So thanks for coming. We really thanks, guys. It. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Phil. For Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.